Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Hello, Charles Marshall in for Neil today, and today is April 20th, 2018, as always, a Thursday. Uh, Tonight, well, for those of you on the East Coast, it is already tonight. For those of you on the West Coast, it's afternoon. I'll use the generic word tonight. We're discussing silent roles of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac hiding behind the obtuse. Now, I intended to have Bill Padalo on with me to discuss this, and we may still be able to get him on today's show. This show is brought to you by GTC Honors, Living Lies, and LendingLies.com, and it is made possible because of donations from listeners like you. Thank you. Any amount you're able to donate is appreciated, and you can donate directly by selecting the Donate button on the blog at www.livinglies.wordpress.com. Now, the topic under discussion today, again, it's essentially the way Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have in some ways facilitated the problems that we've seen in the securitization arena ever since the mortgage meltdown of 2008-2009. And for those of you who were able to review the the blog post about uh, today's show, you will have seen 10 points that Neil posted about this. And to just go over those briefly, here is what those points cover. And it is good information, so I'm I'm going to give you kind of a snapshot. Uh, I'm going to give you kind of a a snapshot of uh, what those points cover. So what we have here under point one is GSE. And remember, these are government-sponsored entities, and that's what Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are, and that's the role they play here. Hey, Charles, Um, can you hear me? Yes, Bill. It's uh, great to have you on the show. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I've I've been on. I for some reason I must not have shown up on your switchboard, but uh, I'm 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 definitely here. Yeah, I I, I see you here now, and uh, yeah, it was a technical glitch. Uh, these things happen sometimes, but we're all we're all on board now. So, <clears throat> so one of the things you know that I was just about to get into, Bill was the 10 aspects that Neil had blogged about, you know, briefly in his intro to the show today. Now, these government-sponsored entities, the GSEs, you know, in, in what we might call the old days of lending, and, of course, this is still somewhat recent. We're not talking, you know, 50 years ago. We're talking more like 20 approximately back to the latter part of the 20th century, uh, GSEs like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they were guarantors of loans. And the idea was they could offer loans on specialized terms to the types of distressed borrowers and the types of low credit borrowers that the whole securitization arena ostensibly was meant to reach out to. And so in that capacity, they were a relatively modest, even at times minor part of the overall mortgage market. So it didn't have a huge impact, whether there would be significant defaults within that mortgage pool or not. That was not going to have a huge impact on the overall uh, situation with the mortgage market. And then that all changed when you have GSEs coming in <clears throat> basically in the role of master trustee, you know, in a rhetoric trust, as Neil had pointed out in his point too. And in, in, in effect, they would take over the same powers, rights, and obligations as the master trustee would. Um, Bill, that might be something that uh, you'd be able to give the in, some input to the listeners on. Thanks. I mean, it's real uh, – well, first, let's, let's clear up a misnomer that uh, has been going on for a long time. And when, they, when you call these entities GSEs or government-sponsored entities, you have to remember that these are not government entities in and of themselves. These are private companies – they were um, managed and run with stockholders, just like any other private company in, in, in the country. And uh, it wasn't until they went into conservatorship uh, when the economy crashed after 2008, when the government came in and took a specific uh, role in overseeing and managing and taking upwards of 70% of the stock and running the organization. So when people start to think that this is the government that we're dealing with, well, in some ways we are, in some ways we're not, but you can't just clump it all together and say that uh, that uh, these are technically government entities. Um, it appears as though in the, the government in its management, uh, since they took over these entities, um, is complicit to a lot of the behavior and the things that we're seeing uh, and, and what I posted about in the story yesterday and what I kind of want to talk about here today is um, – the fact that 
when they claim to own or control these non-performing loans in, in bulk numbers, and, I, and, the, and the story I used just as an example yesterday, and I've been harping on this entity on many shows and in my posts before that I'm knee-deep in investigating, um, and that's the Lone Star Funds, uh, the LSF9 entities, uh, LSF8, LSF9, and U.S. Bank is the trustee for these entities. Um, I'm using them specifically as an example when I talk about these issues because I have a lot of experience investigating these particular cases. And when they go to sell these bulk loans and they claim to have these, uh, for example, in the article I was going to say that I mentioned yesterday as a reference, they talk about, for example, 2,879 uh, grossly delinquent loans totaling $706 million in one particular sale that they made to LSF9. And what I'm basically pointing out here is that you can't sell, you know, that which you don't have the rights to or that which you don't own. You can only, you know, whatever you're selling, you may have some rights that you can sell, but the party who's acquiring it, those uh, uh, rights in the sale, only get the rights that you have for sale. Okay, I know that sounds a little muddled, and you can probably elaborate on that in a moment. But um, what we have that is. In these 2,879 loans, for example, and all the ones that I'm investigating, I have yet to see any uh, assignments uh, or endorsements upon the notes to or from Freddie Mac. Freddie Mac is remaining stealth in these transactions. And so what's real important in this article is that here we have a bank witness who explains the relationship between the servicer and Freddie Mac and how that all plays out. And this witness spells it out in clear terms that unless these assignments are executed to and from Fannie and or Freddie and Freddie takes physical possession of the notes, they can't sell rights to any other party to seek collection on that debt or to go after borrowers uh, in a foreclosure uh, setting. Okay, and that's that's very uh, significant because. This is what I've suspected is going on behind the scenes, is that these bulk purchases, which they're buying for pennies on the dollar on these transactions, and as I point out in the article, if the only thing they have a right to in this purchase is for the cash flows from homeowners, which clearly they're not receiving because these loans they're claiming are grossly in default, the only other thing they have a right to is the carcass, uh, the liquidation of the eventual property. And that's exactly what they're going after in these cases, and that's exactly why they are being um, as profitable as they are. And what's disturbing here, uh, Charles, is that Lone Star Funds, who's run by a gentleman named John Graken, um, who's, you know, makes no qualms about the fact that he doesn't like to pay taxes in the United States and he has relinquished his citizenship in the United States and has moved overseas um, and he continues to come in uh, to uh, take part in these transactions and to foreclose in record numbers through Caliber, the servicer of these uh, entities, is that the pension funds, such as the Oregon uh, PERS, which is the Public Employee Retirement Fund, as of 2013, they have $2.2 billion invested with Lone Star funds. For example, the New York Pension Police, Police Pension has over $100 million invested in this. And this is what apparently is going on, and I'm going to be the first to uh, 
predict here, and I'm going to say it right now, is that this thing stinks to the high heavens because when the Bertie Madoff scandal came down, people were saying that the red flags of uh, that should have gone up when he was giving a 10 to 15% consistent returns on his money. And what we have now, based on this fraud scheme, is we have Graken giving the, uh, uh, for example, the Oregon Pension Fund, returns of upwards of 53% return on their money. Now, if that doesn't raise red flags and an alarm, that what he has done and what it appears to be going on is that if, if you go out and get the, the, the pension funds that are run, owned by the, uh, the, the, the judiciary, the judges, the police, law enforcement, do you think that they're going to enforce any of these crimes against their own interests? Absolutely not. So he's baked in protection is what I, I'm saying right here on this show, is that he's baked in protection by getting all of these pension funds and the public retirement funds and law enforcement and everybody to go into these funds, and they're all turning a blind eye to this ridiculous Ponzi scheme. And so to get back in, uh, on this issue of what Freddie Mac is doing in these cases um, and going through this initial checklist, we don't know. Yes. We, we don't know any of the roles because the, Freddie and Fannie can play multiple roles. They can be the funder, the purchaser, the investor, the trustee. Uh, they can be the master servicers, subservicers. There's so many different roles that, that they can play. But what's real uh, uh, concerning here and, and is that their business model, as you look at it, is absolutely – um, built on some strange sort of trust relationship. They don't verify anything that they're purchasing. They're creating these certificates and selling them into the secondary market without claiming that these certificates are backed by the mortgages uh, in the collateral when, one, they haven't taken possession of assignment of any of this, uh, of the collateral. They haven't taken the notes. They haven't verified any of the information coming from the parties of which they claim to buy this stuff from. There's no checks and balances. And, and, and what I can clearly see is when these entities, and they were getting jammed up, Freddie and Fannie were getting jammed up in the early 2000s by regulators as to their accounting methods and that they were all messed up. They were padding their own pockets. The people were helping themselves. The, the, the CEOs and people running the ship were uh, running amok with um, – uh, with their cooking the books and everything, and they've been. This has been well documented by government investigations. Well, clearly, you know, the run-up of private securitization is they just took a chapter right out of this playbook and replicated it on the private side of the fence, outside of Freddie and Fannie. But it's all the same elements. They create these trusts uh, that we have no knowledge of. I mean, there's 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 nothing behind the curtain of which they can verify, including the accounting, and that's. Um, that's what's so disturbing here, and I think at the end of the day, the money trail is where this is all going to shake out, uh, and, and that's where we're really starting to hone in on it right now. But the reality of it as of, of right now, and the way I see it in these investigations, is, is they, these bulk note sales that they claim that they're purchasing the actual loans in order for them to collect, according to their own uh, uh, bank witness, 
they must possess the assignment uh, to and from Freddie and possession of the physical notes. That, I can tell you right now, I have not seen a single shred of evidence that that's the case. And if so, I think we've got uh, uh, thousands upon thousands of, of illegal foreclosures going on by these vulture investor entities who are, who are simply debt collectors going after the houses, and they're divvying up the proceeds to the uh, to the pension funds and the likes. Just kind of uh, – uh, and, and the other part about this I think is really disturbing, and I watched this on a New York – uh, investigative uh, station talking about LSF9 is that, look, the very people who they are foreclosing and kicking to the curb, one example was a New York police officer retired. One of the, he's getting kicked to the curb has actually got his money invested in the Lone Star funds. So it's, it, they're actually uh, going after the, the hand that feeds it. So it, it, a lot of disturbing stuff no, going on yeah, that's at once disturbing and ironic. And, you know, one of the fundamentals here, of course, is moral hazard. And Neil mentioned that in his write-up for today's show, and that's, that's a fundamental problem here. Because essentially, without Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac having to do formal assignments, you know, in the real world, which of course is what the bank witness you're referencing was testifying to, regardless of the underlying fundamental requirements, in reality, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, at least through this lens, are not doing the assignments. And it sounds like that's what you've been able to confirm. I mean, that's that's correct, right, Bill? Well, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely correct. And, and as I pointed out before, I don't know how an entity such as Freddie, for example, can go and sell $706 million worth of collateral assets being loans when they have no documentation to show they've ever been entitled and they don't have any documentation to show that any, any of the, the $706 million worth of assets were ever verified. It's all, I mean, they, they don't, they simply have uh, no evidence by their own admission that they checked and verified what it is that they were backing financially with these securities. Now, one thing is very clear when you talk about these LS, the LSF-9, for example, and the, the, the LSF-8 and 9, they use, they call the term Matt as uh, U.S. Bank as trustee for the LSF-9 Master Participation Trust. Okay, well, that always implies that we're dealing with participation agreements, right? And in my research on participation agreements, um, it's clear that the, the, the lending indus industry was using this type of method to finance transactions, and it goes way back 100 years, uh, where they would get a primary lender on the face of the document, and then they would get multiple lenders behind the curtains to pitch in money into a pool to fund loans, okay? Well, I'm not saying there's anything wrong, and I don't think the courts ever uh, have come out and said there's anything wrong with that sort of method. But you can't get uh, it mixed up with rights to the collateral through one of those types of participation agreements. It's vastly different than what we're seeing, and what I'm seeing, I should say, 
with the participation agreements we're talking about in terms of the derivatives and the securities aspect inside of it, okay? This is what they're buying, peddling, and dealing. All of these derivatives and all this uh, stuff that uh, it within the con- uh, contracts, and, and, and when I uh, have gone up against this entity in jurisdictions around the country, they're coming in with all these inconsistent documents claiming that these are the governing instruments, the trust documents, this is what gives the authority to do what they're doing. And, and it's absolutely ludicrous because, you know, 75 to 80% of these documents are fully redacted and blacked out. And they mean nothing. They're not executed. They're all different. They all have, from what I can see and what appears through the unredacted lines, is that there's missing ancillary agreements uh, that uh, are subject to discovery. But I, I can tell you right now that if those documents are produced, there's a reason they're covering it up and hiding all that information. But once we get to the bottom, and if, I, and if we see if there were a complete set of these documents and they're unredacted, clearly what we're going to see is exactly what this bank witness attested to. They don't have the rights to collect from a foreclosure perspective. There is not a contractual connection between what, what they bought and the original deed of trust and mortgages and notes that the homeowners signed. There's a complete disconnect there. And uh, so... So that's becoming more evident, and then also now when we start to uh, really uh, probe into the verifiable accounting aspects of this, uh, it's very clear um, that they don't have the right to do what they've been doing. And one of the things that strikes me about all this, particularly from a big picture point of view, is that it appears that Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac's role in all this is essentially enabling a laundering of the status of the note of the providence of the note and of the right to collect on the note. And so it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, at once, uh, you know, insidious and nefarious. And, and to put that more straightforwardly, it's, it, it's, it's essentially facilitating for us. I mean, I think that's a that's a fair statement. I'm not making that as a legal comment or legal claim. I'm simply saying it has that appearance, and it's it's the usual institutional suspects. I mean, would you say that a lot of the bulk purchasers are the usual institutional players? Uh, you know, of course, PNC Bank. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, they make, it middle, US they, they make it that type of thing. network. <laughs> it's, you've got to be an institutional, so to speak, investor. You've got to have deep pockets to uh, to be able to bid on these things. And, you you know, it, it's clear that, um, uh, you know, these, these entities that are going and buying all of this stuff, whatever the representations and warranties that are being made, I mean, you know, clearly, um, you know, if I – it's sort of I'm trying to think of a of an analogy here of um, me, you know, going and um, well, it's not coming to my mind right now, but it's sort of like trying to sell uh, titles to vehicles that I don't know exist, have never seen, and I've never had documentation that I've owned. Yet I'm going to try to sell a title uh, 
to those vehicles to some other party. Okay. Um, again, I don't know how you can sell, and it just seems too obvious to me. But how you can sell assets, claiming that you know these are you know non-performing loans, and, and you're going to buy this collateral, you're going to buy the deeds of trust and mortgages and the notes and everything that comes with it when you have never you can't prove you've ever bought it and you don't have any documentations to show you've ever taken possession of them and you have no assignments to yourself first and foremost so again it's uh, it's it's sort of like uh, a party in the uh, a party who's not documented in the chain of title is trying to sell that which it can't prove it owns it's you can't sell something you don't have and you can't sell rights that you don't possess and that is clearly what's going on. Now, again, we're taking a huge assumption here that Freddie was involved to begin with. So when Freddie Mac does a bulk loan sale and there's no evidence of any assignments or anything of that nature, how do we even know Freddie is Freddie's just, again, being used as a money laundering instrument? Well, we, we, we can't even good, prove that Freddie was is in the chain point. of title from the beginning because there's no documentation of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we are coming up to the end of our show, Bill. I appreciate your role here and I appreciate your input as always and one one thing I'll also note here in terms of the kind of laundering aspect it seems to me uh, you know historically I've looked into the Fannie Mae Freddie Mac uh, purchasing prospects for even uh, I, I would call them potentially white knight small time investors and they never were interested in that type of thing even if it were, were to mean moving dozens of loans in a, in a certain geographical area. And I think their criteria for getting involved with this type of thing is that they're dealing with the usual institutional suspects that we all know well in this show. And Thanks, so, and so um, that is it for today. And uh, we will be back next Thursday. And until then, everyone. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lines Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony, and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.